0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, you made it through the first day. The first day isn't always an easy day. Uh, if you've been doing this for um, for a while, then uh, what gets easier is you know what you're going to be going through on the first day or the second day, that settling in process. Not that uh, that you avoid the the challenges, but you just are, are friends with them and uh, don't uh, get confused by them. Just take a, a little uh, uh, weather report in the room. How many people were sleepy today? Take a look around. Oh, isn't it nice to know you don't, that you have company? Uh, how many people were restless today? Okay. Sometimes it's a moment of sleepiness and then a moment of restlessness and then you're sleepy again. You know, <clears throat> that can happen too. How many people uh, were dealing with aches in the body? Okay, and how about uh, Busy Mind? That was a safe one, yeah. Great, you're right on schedule. Mm. The first day in the settling in of um, any retreat uh, takes some patience and some understanding that you are in a process uh Shifting from the busyness and intense stimulation of daily life down to the slow, slow, slow lane. Uh, And there's going to be some um, getting used to, some adjustment. As we were saying in uh, one of the groups, you're being told, okay, sit still now for 45 minutes or more or less. Now walk this way, very mindfully. Now eat and taste your food. Now sleep in a bed that you're not used to, maybe with a roommate. um, And pay attention to it all throughout the day. Well, of course there's going to be some adjustment, some resistance some grumpiness uh, if you happen to experience that but it's really worth it i was saying in one of the groups i've tried to figure out for a long time how to start a retreat on the third or fourth day and (laughs) i've never been able to do it um this is part of the package But the thought might come to you as you're going through this, particularly if it's uh, new to you, what am I doing here? (laughs) Why are we doing this? It can even come if you've been doing this for a long time. Or you remember the very last sitting at the last retreat that you were at. Mmm, yeah. That's the hook that gets you back here. Uh, But often we forget about the first couple of days of of the retreat. So I wanted to talk tonight about um, just how this process works and uh, why we're we're doing what we're doing. And I want to um, present it through one classical list. uh, If you are... If you like lists, you've come to the right place. The The Buddhist teaching is filled with lists, uh, although uh, there's, there's hope for um, right-brain-oriented people as well. It's also filled with heart and filled with joy and filled with love. But this is the list. <clears throat> the list of the five spiritual faculties that allow us or that that reveal this process we're cultivating different qualities of mind and heart that uh, work together that open up to um, deep happiness and freedom the five are faith energy and effort mindfulness concentration and wisdom and this list can be seen in two different ways one way is as a a list of balancing qualities of mind with mindfulness in the center concentration and energy are balanced if they're not when there's too much concentration but not enough Uh, energy, one can fall into uh, the nods and the sloth and torpor, or that stilling of mind but not a bright mind. And if there's too much energy uh, and not enough stillness, then there can be a restlessness of mind. And wisdom and faith also work together. If there's uh, too much faith but not enough wisdom, it can be blind faith. And if there's too much wisdom, sounds kind of funny, too much wisdom. If there's too much of an intellectual analysis and investigation with not enough heart in it, it can be uh, very uh, cool, analytical, and sterile, and, uh, and dry, not juicy. So that's one way to think of these qualities working together. And one way to think of the whole practice is, uh, is balance, as the Moody Blues used to say, a question of balance. It's all about balance. Another way to see this, um, this process is linearly from, from one to another of those. And that's what I want to share tonight so you have a sense of, of how it all works. Or one way to understand how it works. So the first of these qualities is faith. The word in uh, in Pali is sadha s a d d h a. It's usually translated as faith, but uh, that word might trip up a few people. It might remind you of whatever um, resistance or inspiration uh, from your childhood, whatever your religion of origin uh, was, if it wasn't uh, Buddha Dharma. And other synonyms for sadha are trust, confidence. Conviction. What that word sada is literally, um, literally means is to put one's heart upon, to put your heart into it, a heartfelt kind of a quality. And that in one form or another gets you here. Maybe you heard Uh, a talk by some uh, wonderful teacher who inspired you. Or maybe you have a friend who you've seen some changes and saying, hey, this is really good stuff. You know, I wonder what they're into. Or maybe you've had a, uh, just you've read something in a book that has really moved you And you are feeling, I want to check this out. Or maybe you've had just a lot of suffering and you've been hearing about the power of mindfulness to reduce stress or to bring about uh, greater ease and peace. Whatever it is or was that got you here, this started the process where you were motivated enough to check it out for yourself. And sometimes it can be a, a truly inspirational um, movement of heart, where you've just been so touched and you say, I'm going for it. Uh, I've, I've shared with, uh, with a number here, when I first got into this practice, um, it was in 1974, and uh, I was, um, I went out to um, Boulder, Colorado, and uh, went to Naropa. It was the first summer at Naropa, and uh, Ram Ramdas was there, who I was very inspired by after reading Be Here Now, um, which uh, many people in my generation were moved by. How many people have read Be Here Now here? Yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about. That was... <laughs> That started my faith. Oh my goodness, maybe I'm not alone. Uh, and when I went out there and I met Ramdas and uh, asked him, "Well, what about meditation? I've been trying a few other things." And he said, "Go, go to this uh, guy Joseph Goldstein. He's starting a class." And I went there, and um, after a few minutes of first judging the package, saying, "Well," Gee, he's not so different from me. He doesn't look like, he doesn't have long flowing hair and orange robes or anything like that. Uh, Then I just started hearing what he was saying and it really moved me. And there was something that he knew that I wanted to know. Why he was so comfortable in his skin and saying it's really possible to not be run by your neurotic thought patterns that had never occurred to me as a possibility before. But he was saying, it really is possible. And I was in a lot of pain, internal pain and suffering, and I said, I'm going for it. And so sometimes if you have a lot of personal suffering, actually don't think it gets in the way, it can be a great motivator. If you have any sense that there's some value here, that all these people have come and done retreats and uh, and have extolled the, the virtues of mindfulness and uh, and meditation practice, if you've got some clue that there might be something here to transform and you're in a lot of pain, you have just the right ingredients because your inspiration Uh, might be truly ready to be activated. And sometimes it can be a very bright activation, what's called bright faith or bright trust. For me, uh, another line of the Buddha's uh, was a, a real inspiration to me. Very simple line. He said, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. I said, okay, I'm going for it. And from that bright faith, that gets you here. Or if the word faith doesn't work for you, some sense and trust, intuitive um, belief that there's something here that gets you here, <clears throat> but then that's not enough. It won't. It won't last. You can't go on somebody else's inspiration or on inspiration that you read in a book uh, for uh, forever. You have to see for yourself, and that's when doing the practice. Yourself, and you see for yourself in the in the uh, in the chants, the, w- some of the uh, the, the most uh, familiar chants. There's the word "ehipasiko." Come and see for yourself. The Dharma is here to be seen for yourself. "Ehipasiko, opanaiko. And when you see for yourself, oh, there's something that's really going on here. It feels like I'm going in the right direction. And you start to understand some truths about yourself or about life that seem to uh, bring about ease and clarity and openness. Um, Then that bright faith becomes verified faith. Where it's yours, you've seen it to be true. And sometimes it can sneak up from behind, and you might not even realize that you're getting an insight when it comes. That can happen a lot. You might be saying, When am I going to have an insight? When am I going to. You know. And <laughs> as I, I don't, I think I, I'm not sure if I said it in the hall, you've probably had uh, the first insight of insight meditation, that the mind is completely out of control, okay? This is a very important insight. Mm -hmm. It might sound like bad news, but it's actually great news. Because if your mind is out of control, then you don't have to blame yourself for what comes through it. It's just doing its own thing, right? You don't say, gee, I could go for a little bit of rage right now. No, it just kinda comes, you know? How about self-doubt, self-judgment? That would be good for me. No, those thoughts just come. And it's so freeing to see it's not up to you. i share with you a, a story uh, that I've shared about my own first, uh, one of my first revelations on in practice. It was on my second retreat, and I was having a really hard time I was a phony. Everybody around was a phony. I was trying to sit and look spiritual, and my mind was everywhere. Walking, and I couldn't walk and, and, and be there for more than two steps. And I thought, this is crazy. What is everybody doing? I'm a phony. Everybody around, I'm sure, was a phony, too. I didn't think the teachers knew what they were talking about so much. And I just was really going down and finally i i decided i need to just chill out a bit and i went to uh my little cubicle in this retreat center up in uh washington and um as i was lying down to just chill out there was a, a picture of uh, neem karoli baba who's the guru in be here now ramdas guru uh, also known as maharaji who's really uh an inspiration to me. And there he was kind of looking back at me with a little twinkle in his eye and a big smile on his face and saying, hmm, getting pretty freaked out, aren't we? Huh? <laughs> <clears throat> and in a moment, the whole spell broke and I saw, oh, I was just filled with doubt. That's all. And in a moment, I got really inspired and, and really so happy and i couldn't wait to tell joseph my teacher that i'd conquered doubt <laughs> unfortunately the interview was the next day and between that experience and the interview i went i was high and then i crashed and then i was kind of all over the map and confused and Just going up and down like a a seesaw. And I finally get into the interview and he said, so, what's happening? And I said, completely innocent and in utter exasperation, it's always changing. And he said, that's it. You got it. I said, oh yeah, you always say that, don't you? It really is always changing. Ah. That was a first hit of verified faith for me. Oh, impermanence is really true. I'm looking for some esoteric sign of it. And here it is. How many different moods? How many different moods have you had today? How many different thoughts have you had? Always changing. The verified faith turns into what's called unshakable faith where more and more you see for yourself and you know that this is leading to greater wholeness and greater understanding and wisdom and all the beautiful qualities shine through. But this first one, faith, or some trust in the process, leads to the second, the effort or energy to do this practice. It takes some effort to do it. You know, as much as we talk about relaxation and ease, it takes some training to bring your mind into the present moment. One teacher, uh, Trunkpa Rinpoche used to say, it's like manual labor, just kind of Your mind wanders and you bring it back. Okay, let's go. So if you think, oh, well, then I'll just kick back. And if it happens, it happens. If I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. It's not going to happen. It takes some willingness to be here. The kind of effort, though, can vary from time to time. Sometimes, if you're feeling um, very revved up and tight and really trying hard, what kind of effort do you need? A relaxed effort. You need to just cool out like I did in that in that story. Or uh, just go for a walk and get some space. Mm-hmm. If you are really um, laid back or uh, too much just trusting in the process, uh, at times you might need to put in a genuine commitment. This does take a wholehearted commitment and the commitment to really um, play your edge and just see for yourself instead of playing it safe. It's a balanced effort. And as the Buddha says in one discourse, um, it's not too much. It's not too lax. It's just the right amount, which can change from time to time. He was speaking to one one monk who was really over-efforting and trying hard and getting all wound up. And, and uh, the he asked the Buddha for some advice and he the Buddha remembered, weren't you a musician in your, uh, before you took robes? And he said, yes, yeah, I, I played the lute. And uh, the, the Buddha said, well, what happened when you made the string too tight? He said, oh, I didn't get the right note. It was too high. And what happened if you made it too loose? Oh, it was too low. And he said, just so. In the same way, you don't want to be too tight and you don't want to be too loose just the right amount which will change from time to time and see what is needed to bring you into balance and you hear all kinds of different different messages you can read in a book you know some Burmese master i studied with one Burmese master who said heroic effort turn up the jets you know and if your leg is falling off just note it, falling, falling, <laughs> falling, you know. He didn't quite say that, but that was the general idea. And then there's, there's other messages that you get. This is from uh, a great Tibetan master, uh, Gendon Rinpoche. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do wanting to grasp the ungraspable you exhaust yourself in vain as soon as you relax this grasping space is here open inviting and comfortable sounds pretty good huh? of course that you get that teaching after you've gone through the preliminary practices which include 100,000 prostrations and 100,000 mantra recitations and then they just say relax relax But it's both needed, a wholehearted effort and not straining, an ease, a relaxation. Because if the mind is tight, we can't see clearly and we get contracted in unwholesome states. So rather than Judging yourself by what your meditation looks like or judging your effort by what it may, what it looks like You get in touch with the willingness to be here and your own sincerity of heart That's the source of the effort What is happening at any time will change you might be clear you might be foggy you might be exhilarated you might be confused you might be full of love and then you might be full of anger it's all just moving through so rather than evaluating how you're doing by what your meditation looks like have you seen that tendency oh clear now maybe it's starting to work you know oh all over the map now. Maybe I'm not doing it right. Don't get into that. There can be very deep states of practice where there's the heart has fear and confusion and uh, disgust. These are some classical stages of practice. Rather than evaluating by what it looks like, just get in touch with the sincerity. That you bring to practice. That's where the effort comes. Your willingness to be here and your willingness to bring your attention back when it's gone. Or to simply reconnect with the moment. Ah, got lost there. Ah, here I am again in the moment. No place I need to go. It's right here. It's already right here. This is from uh, a yogi who, who wrote uh, a note. <clears throat> this is a while ago. He said, it is indeed a huge relief to realize that I am not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden, It is also a relief to know that I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness, and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc., so this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, uh, it has made me incredibly happy. So happy that it's really hard to come back to the breath at times. Just sincerity of heart. Just a wholehearted willingness to open up to your experience whatever it is that's all you need to do and when you see ideas or thoughts about how you're doing, um, you can create some space around them they're not yours on one retreat. I was going slowly. You know, Howie mentioned that I used to like to go really slow. When you do go slow and you're in the groove, it's fun. But I know what it's like to go really slowly and be on Pluto in your mind. So it's not about going slowly. It's not a slow walking contest. And at this one point, I was watching my mind. And I'd be all alone meditating uh, all alone doing walking meditation, and it was just really enjoyable. You know, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing, and then somebody else would be around me, and I'd notice what was going on, and the label would turn to lifting, moving, looking good, lifting, moving, <laughs> looking good, looking good. You know, it was humbling. You know. But you just go through it anyway and see, oh yeah, that's what the mind does. Your energy and your effort are always um, changing because your level of brightness changes and sleepiness can be here and then there can be wakefulness. So not to think that It's supposed to be any one way. It's a balanced effort, like learning to ride a bicycle. It doesn't always uh, remain the same. And the key to effort, for me anyway, is interest. To just let yourself be interested in what's here. That's it. You were born with a natural curiosity. And the more, as Howie was saying this morning, when you do, at first, it takes some effort. You have to rev it up. But the more you do it at the beginning, the more you start to become mindful, the more interesting everything gets. And the more interesting things are, the more you want to take a look. And the more you want to take a look, the stronger the mindfulness gets. So... That's a key, being interested. I have a birthday card that I've never sent because I love it so much. And it has on the front this infant with a booger in his hand, right out of his nose, staring, mesmerized. Mm -hmm. And you open it up and it says... You always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. <laughs> I love that card. Wow. Do you remember? You could be even interested in a booger. You know? When I was a, a kid, did you ever look at a shaft of light coming through the window and look up close? Wow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fascinating, isn't it? And if somebody said, oh, what are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm watching dust. It doesn't sound very exciting, but it's fascinating. Oh, wow. Let your own natural sense of wonder bring you to the moment. Your breath is keeping you alive. This moment, life is happening right through you. It's amazing. Have you ever wondered, uh, I'm thinking of the uh, old talking head song, you, know. you may ask yourself, how did I get here? You know. <laughs> ask yourself, how did you get here? <laughs> it's amazing. Life has come together as you. A unique expression that's never been here before And in your lifetime, there are a finite number of moments in your lifetime. Who knows how many. This is one of them that's never been here before, that will never be here again. This is your life. Why not be here for it? So the effort is the effort to be here, which leads to the third, mindfulness, the faculty of mindfulness. Mindfulness has amazing properties. The Satipatthana Sutta that this meditation is based on, and all of Buddhist meditation is based on, The Buddha starts out by saying, there is one most direct way, as one translation says, there's one most wonderful way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness. That is the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's amazing that he figured out that mindfulness can lead to the highest happiness, that just being here for your experience in a skillful way can overcome all sorrow and suffering and awaken the deepest places of wisdom and love inside of us. The power of mindfulness. Mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening right now without getting caught in your judgments of what you'd like to be happening or not happening. It's very simple. And today we practiced primarily with knowing that you're sitting here breathing or maybe some other primary object for you. Just that simple fact. And then as we open up the field, we'll include more and more until there's nothing outside of our field of experience. Anything is just as good as anything else. It's so simple. I was doing this in one of the groups. I'll just share this with you uh, in case you're kind of, it seems esoteric. Just Put your hand out in front of you right now and move it back and forth through space slowly. And now, as you're doing it, close your eyes and put all your attention on feeling the movement. Right now, is there any worry? Is there any fear? Is there any regret. Just feel the movement. You just stay with the movement. Any tomorrow or yesterday, there's just feeling the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that, did you need to add anything to make it a better moment? Did you need to take anything away? Oh, this would make it a better moment. No, it was just very simply fully being here and the mind is at rest and not lost in stories or confusions. It's simply here. And you can have that same attitude whether you're breathing or hearing a sound or feeling a sensation. Pleasant or unpleasant, the mind and heart can be trained to be with anything with some kind, interested awareness. You can be there for feelings and emotions, beautiful ones and difficult ones. Awareness doesn't care, as one of my friends says. It doesn't matter what it's paying attention to. It's not tainted by it. And it can have many different lenses. Sometimes it can be a very microscopic lens where you're feeling the subtleties of you know your hair follicles swaying in the breeze in your nostrils or sometimes it can be a m- much wider lens and panoramic and knowing oh having a meltdown that's what's here meltdown buddha okay That moment of mindfulness is just as profound as the other. Oh, when I don't know what's happening and I'm completely lost, I wrap it up into one big package and call it, oh, confusion. That's what's going on. And I'm clear. I might be clearly confused, but I'm clear about it. Oh, confusion. So, not to think that mindfulness looks any one way. It's simply knowing what's happening. With interest, with ease, and not manipulating anything. One thing that mindfulness is not is figuring out. It's not figuring out. And we can get so caught up in trying to figure out, solve our life issue, or figure out how to do the right meditation, or get caught in... Trying to figure out how to not figure out, there's no end to it. You know, there's a line in the third Zen patriarch. It says, "He says, stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know." You know that feeling when you when you let go of figuring and turning things around. All of a sudden, ah, things become clear. This was from another yogi. On her first retreat and she was having a really hard time trying to figure things out and then she finally got it at the end and she wrote me the one thing that is indelibly in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out that would never have registered as an option before just today when I was doing walking meditation struggling as my thoughts were going round and round those words came into my mind I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself and I resumed my walking. What a revelation. what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath. And the rest will work itself out in its own time. And I resume my walking." This is where the power of letting go of the mind, letting go of solving or analyzing, is tremendously freeing. Generally, You do not figure out, your wisdom can't shine through when you're trying hard to figure things out. So mindfulness, the awareness, it happens by itself and all you need to do is be interested. You can't turn your awareness off. If you're looking at me right now, Can you not see me? Can you stop your awareness? No, it's just happening. If your ears are working, can you not hear me? Can you not hear these words? Uh Uh-uh. Awareness happens just by itself. But knowing that you're aware is a whole other level. And this is mindfulness and knowing what's happening and not being confused by your thoughts, that's a whole other level of of training the heart and the mind. Okay, so faith leading to effort, the effort to be mindful leading to mindfulness, and mindfulness then leading to the fourth faculty, which is concentration. Concentration develops by your sincere intention, but not by your effort or sheer will, as, as that fellow was saying. And why we go on retreat, one reason we go on retreat is to not be distracted by all the stimuli and to give a chance for the mindfulness to build up and develop this mindful concentration, where over and over, if you keep on bringing yourself back to the present moment, there's a momentum of mindfulness that develops. Not because you come into the hall and say, I'm going to be concentrated if it kills me. It might, if you have that attitude, you know but because you just bring yourself back each time in a very consistent and persistent way. The key to concentration is continuity. If you really want to discover concentration, here's the secret. Make the intention to be mindful in a very balanced way throughout the day. And the image that's used is uh, a kettle boiling on the stove. You put some water on the stove and want to boil it. If you keep taking it off every minute or so, or 30 seconds, it's not going to boil. But if you leave it on the stove, even if sometimes the flame is low and sometimes it's higher, it's going to cook after a while. That's how concentration works. If you have a flow of continuity so that it's not just, oh, I'll be mindful when I go out there and get to my walking lane, but oh, getting up, oh, moving to the door, oh, putting on the shoes, opening the door. Or if you're brushing your teeth, oh, reaching, unscrewing, squeezing, brushing, brushing. If you can make it like a very sweet, graceful dance throughout the day, your concentration will deepen dramatically. But remember, it's not a tight efforting. It's making it like a dance throughout. One A few supports in doing this. Keeping it simple, keeping things simple. We're so good at multitasking. Here's the real challenge (laughs) unitasking. I know it's radical. (laughs) Try to do just one thing at a time. You don't have much else to do, you know, so unless you've got a job to go to, you know, oh, tying my shoes. Be like that little infant with the bugger, you know. Oh, opening the door. Oh, taking a shower. Just be well, if there's a shower and there's people waiting, don't don't go super slowly. But but do one thing at a time and that's what keeps it simple. Resolve to come back each time you've wandered the key to an ongoing continuous mindfulness doesn't matter how many times you've gone okay come on back one more time let yourself become interested like i said a little while ago that investigation that discovery and be very very patient don't watch yourself get concentrated, you know, well, am I there yet? You know, it's not going to work. Just put your whole heart into the moment and trust that moment after moment, the concentration develops. And you need to have a real spacious ease. As Suzuki Roshi says, the way to, uh, to, uh, uh, have a cow be serene is to give it a big pasture. Right? If you put it in a narrow pen, it's going to start getting antsy and kick and, and uh, be very frustrated. But you take away the fence. What does it do? Just kind of lies around chewing its cud all the time. You know. Same way with the mind. Just give it a big pasture. That is, don't get tight and just in that relaxation, let yourself become interested with continuity, okay? That leads us to the last of these. Faith leads to effort. Effort to be mindful leads to mindfulness. Mindfulness, build up of momentum leads to concentration, and concentration, a concentrated mindfulness, leads to wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, for the purposes of these teachings, wisdom particularly entails three different things. Seeing that everything changes. And you might say, well, I see it. I got that. Okay but to see it deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's not just an idea, but you see for yourself that verified faith that everything changes. Oh, it really is true. The more you understand that everything changes, the less you are holding on to changing experience. And the second insight is seeing How holding on to that which is changing is suffering, is dukkha, the word dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A. Dukkha, because there's unreliability. There's not a lasting happiness. And when we try to hold on, we get, as my teacher uh, Joseph says, rope burn, you know, holding on to that which is changing. And then the last of wisdom uh, understandings, wisdom insights, the three profound insights, impermanence, suffering, and the selfless nature of reality, that you yourself are this changing process of experience. Rather than life happening to you Life is happening through you. Life is happening as you, and you are this flow itself. What is looking is life seeing itself as a flow of experience. Buckminster Fuller has a a, a, a simple and powerful way to point to this, and I'll offer it to you. He says, we often think of ourselves as nouns, as somebody, as something solid. Here's the shift, close your eyes for a moment. And instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, as something, as somebody to whom life is happening, just think of yourself for a moment as a verb. You are a verb, a field of activity that is continually in flux, that is constantly changing with all the systems, biological systems and thoughts and feelings. Just relax in the ease of that. You're a verb. you can open your eyes now. That starts to shift things because then it's not about me, it's seeing beyond this illusion of me, of self that's separated, and seeing this is just life. And there's no one that you can point to in that flux That is you. There's no one place or no one process that you can say, that's me. You're a pattern of experience. You're not even yourself completely. You are made up of many, many other things. I want to read to you. This is from Lewis Thomas, uh, a wonderful biologist who wrote a, a classic, The Lives of a Cell, he says, a good case can be made for our non-existence as entities. We're not made up, as we'd always supposed, of successively enriched packets of our own parts. We are shared, rented, occupied at the interior of our own cells, driving them, providing the oxidative energy that sends us out for the improvement of each shining day are mitochondria and in a strict sense, they're not ours. They turn out to be little separate creatures replicating in their own fashion privately with their own DNA and RNA quite differently from quite different from ours. Without them, we would not move a muscle, drum a finger, think a thought. Mitochondria are stable and responsible lodgers, and I choose to trust them. But what of the other little animals similarly established in my cells, sorting and balancing me, clustering me together? My centrioles, basal bodies, and probably a good many other more obscure tiny beings at work inside my cells, each with its own special genome, are as foreign and as essential as aphids and anthills, My cells are no longer the pure line entities I was raised with. They are ecosystems more complex than Jamaican Bay. I like to think that they work in my interest, that each breath they draw for me. But perhaps it is they who walk through the local park in the early morning, sensing my senses, listening to my music, thinking my thoughts. You are an ecosystem called you, for want of a better name. And when you see through that solidity, there's a tremendous freedom that comes because then you see you are connected to everything and life is moving through you. So what we're doing here, although it seems like a very maybe mundane or simple exercise, just being present in this moment is incredibly profound. And if you have the faith or the trust to put in the effort to be mindful and develop a continuity of mindfulness, so that you see not only those three things, but many other things which we don't have time to go into about who you are or who you are not. There is true liberation possible. In every moment that you're mindful, you are planting the seeds for that liberation. And I'll end with a passage that I love from Shantideva, the miracle of awakening that describes this. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death The treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. The tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. The bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life. The cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated. The sun that dispels darkness. The butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. There's a half an hour now for walking. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.